Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and uh, we're going to couple cover different things today. It's going to be a little bit shorter podcast than usual because, uh, unfortunately, I went down to my basement this morning and there's a whole bunch of water down there, so I have to get that taken care of, but I still wanted to get uh, this podcast out to all of you and uh, and get everything taken care of that way. So, uh, first though, up on the docket, we're going to talk about the official pre-orders starting. Everybody, get excited. The Atari box. Okay, so they have now officially said that the pre-sale... Now, this is an interesting way of saying it right off the get-go. So the pre-sale begins May 30th on Indiegogo with exclusive wood front collector's edition Onyx model and accessories. So first of all, Indiegogo is a crowdfunding initiative. So they're pretending like it's a store where you can pre-order your item. Okay, so right from the get-go, I don't like how they're pitching this okay and they're saying that it's going to release spring of 2019 so it's going to be a year away but they want you to plunk your money down now so i thought why who who better to go through than the official atari website so here's atari's website and i'm just going to kind of read through this and comment on it as i go through so Uh, This is their press release. One of the world's most iconic consumer brands and interactive entertainment producers today announces that pre-sales of its new Atari VCS hardware platform will start May 30th, 2018. The pre-sale is exclusive to Indiegogo and features the time-limited Atari VCS Collector's Edition featuring the special retro-inspired wood front. In addition to the Collector's Edition, fans will have the option to pre-order the Atari VCS Onyx, a sleek black version. Early bird Atari VCS packages will be offered, including the Onyx starting at $199 for a limited period of time. Other packages will include the classic joystick and modern controller. Initial Atari VCS shipments are planned for spring of 2019. Fans will fans who have signed up for the insider email alerts before May 24th will be available will be eligible for special purchase incentives during the pre-sale. So this is just the first, uh, like I said, we're going to attack this piece by piece. And I literally mean attack it because I think this is terrible and we need to, I want to let people know like how terrible I think this is. So first of all, again, they're using the word pre-sales. Okay. This, this isn't like a pre-order system. Okay. This is, you are funding the development of possible system. Okay. Now, will it come out? Maybe I can't say for sure that it won't. I've been proven wrong before. Um, when it comes to vaporware and stuff like that, this one though, I, I'm still not sure. I, I don't. Atari is not the company it used to be, and I can't stress that enough. Everyone thinks that, oh, Atari's making a new system. They haven't made a system since the 80s or the 90s, if you uh, count the Jaguar. But what people don't realize is that the original Atari was sold even in the mid 80s, and then another company like continued on to re-release stuff, and then they sold it again in this fire sale they had, where basically Infogrames bought the Atari name. And then rebranded themselves as Atari. So there's nothing wrong with that. But to to pretend like you're the original company that was great back in the late 70s, early 80s would be an incorrect, uh, you know, display of proper information. So they have said that it's going, there's going to be a collector's edition and a special retro inspired wood front. Okay, that's neat. And I like the look of this. Like, I want to get that out of the way too. Aesthetically, this thing is just beautiful. I mean, I love this thing. I have no problem with this. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not not talking mess about the Atari VCS's looks. I think it looks really good. Um, However, it says fans will have the option to pre-order the Atari VCX Onyx, a sleek black version. Early bird packages will be offered, including the Onyx starting at 199 So what that tells me is the cheapest one will be 199 The wood grain is the collector's edition, so that's going to be more. 
probably 250 or 300 and then it says other packages will include classic joystick and modern controllers so for 199 you're basically getting the box uh, the ouya 2.0 basically so you're getting this box it's going to come with the joystick and then you can get bundles with the joystick and modern controller <clears throat> now one interesting thing they said was the updated classic joystick and new modern controller for the atari vcs are being developed in partnership with leading video game peripheral maker power a both items will be available in select packages and as standalone purchases um i don't really have an issue with power a i don't think they make great accessories they're not better than first party but they're not bad their their quality is actually pretty decent when it wants to be so uh i'm actually happy to see that they didn't just try to design their own controllers they went with a controller manufacturer to to make a better design um <clears throat> so uh moving on uh, so so that's weird though price wise and then talking about things like that uh and then mentioning how there's a special pre-order and there's special bundles, but you can start getting the black one at 199 And that's, of course, going to be an early backer thing. That's eventually going to be more than that, but this is supposed to be for the initial signups. So moving on, the VCS is a completely new Atari connected device designed in California by Atari. The company has partnered with AMD, who provides the Atari VCS custom processor with Radeon graphics technology. The Atari VCS platform will offer support for 4K resolution, HDR, and 60 frames per second content, onboard and expandable storage options, dual band Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth 5.0, as well as USB 3.0 support. A complete list of Atari VCS product specs will be posted with the pre-sale. So basically, they haven't told us what's in it yet, but they're claiming by the time that the Indiegogo campaign begins, they will have the final information about that, which is good because what they're telling us right now isn't a whole lot. Let's break it down. So first, they're saying it's going to be um, a, a new Atari connected device. They don't want to call it a game console. You know, they're not calling it a PC. They're just floating kind of in the middle. And uh, it's a custom Radeon graphics card. And AMD is providing a custom processor. <clears throat> now, my understanding is it's not an ARM processor. So you're not going to be able to have like that same sort of mobile boost technology. <clears throat> uh, it is going to run it. It's going to offer support for 4K resolution. Okay, that's usually up to the software, and then you just have to have like a monitor to be able to do that. Um, HDR, uh, that's kind of a buzzword nowadays. It doesn't really mean much. 60 frames per second content. Again, that's typically up to the content creator. Um, so yeah, obviously the device has to be powerful enough to do that, but it's not like that's something that they're controlling necessarily. Uh, onboard and expandable storage options. So maybe a 2.5 inch SATA drive inside, like who knows, maybe just a USB external storage devices. I mean, if it's a, if it's a basically a mini Linux based PC, then why couldn't you use external memory? You know, dual band Wi-Fi, which I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, at this point it's just Wi-Fi <laughs> to say Wi-Fi Bluetooth 5.0. So it can use Bluetooth controllers. Again, that's cool. USB 3.0 support. I mean, that's good. Um, since you know, that technology has been around forever now it should be in every device all the time and it says a complete list of atari vcs product specs will be posted at the pre-sale so i'm excited to see kind of the official release but again this is all the information they've given us as of right now 
Continuing on, retro-inspired but not retro box, the Atari VCS will be a fully customizable entertainment experience. This means access to a vast array of games, media, and streaming content options. As an homage to the past, Atari VCS owners, excuse me, Atari VCS covers the classics with the included Atari Vault of more than 100 classic games, including Asteroids, Centipede, Breakout, Missile Command, Gravatar, and Yars Revenge. So they're saying there's going to be 100 games, but they haven't listed all 100. They've listed um, seven of them here. A growing list of games, especially a full range of popular modern titles, will be announced at later dates. So hitting all this, it's going to have some sort of Atari Virtual Arcade, which actually isn't a terrible idea. Having stuff like that on a PC seems like it makes a lot of sense, especially ones you can play with a controller and a retro-inspired Power-A-created Atari joystick. That's cool. I'm not I'm not talking mess about that. I think that's actually would be an intelligent idea. Um, and then it goes on to say, though, uh, it says it's a fully customizable entertainment experience, so a vast array of games media and streaming content options so are we talking hulu netflix which honestly they're probably still finalizing a lot of those deals but i assume that when you have a device that can play it you just have to go through some sort of certification with that company to show that your app works or that they put the app on however it works um and then uh they finish by saying uh the full range of popular modern titles will be announced at later dates so again does that mean it's going to be like a steam box and if it's a steam box is it going to play like what power of game what 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 level of games can it play up to or is it just going to be hooked up to like the android store and you'll be able to download modern titles of android games so it's not necessarily going to play you know half-life 3 but it would play you know super mario run or whatever um, so anyway, that's just kind of, it'll play Pokemon Go at home when you can't move, but it wouldn't be able to play Far Cry 5, for instance. Uh, so we continue moving forward on the Atari VCS project and are excited to see this pre-sale kickoff to share more updates with our fans as we look forward to the first shipments. Uh, this is Michael Arts, the Atari COO of Connected Devices. We are building outstanding teams and forging alliances that will make the product great and truly worthy of the Atari VCS name. Expert hardware partners are helping make this project possible, and we couldn't be more pleased with their contributions. Atari appreciates the community's intense curiosity about VCS games and content, hardware spec uh, specifications, product timelines, and other key information, and is confident that it's putting the right pieces in place for a successful product launch. Um, and then it kind of just goes on to talk about Atari and here you can find photos and stuff like that. So, um, this, uh, where's the official Atari? I want to go to this one because, uh, it just like spins and stuff. Let's refresh this and then you can kind of watch it. Oh, look how cool this is. Okay. So, um, <laughs> there's the old school reference the new school. And I do, I do like the design, you know, I'm not talking trash about the design, but I'm having a real problem with, um, with kind of what they still haven't announced what's in this thing. And I understand they're trying to build hype and maybe they are still finalizing things. But by the time this comes out on Indiegogo, you have to know what you're going to sell. You have to know. And it just seems like they have no real clue. So you go to the Atari VCS Indiegogo page, which is already up. And uh, there's nothing really on here. You know, this is stuff we've seen before. So this is the wood grain console. Again, love how it looks, actually. These accessories don't look that bad. I actually think these look pretty cool. And if Power A is making them, I think they'll be really neat. Worst case, you could probably use these on your PC anyway. And that'd be really cool to have, like, this Atari logo style 
PC controller if it's a decent controller. But again, how much is this stuff going to cost? You know, I know we have to wait another month for the details, uh, which again, by the way, if you don't remember, they announced this just late last night so they could still say they'd have information in April. And then they pushed the Indiegogo campaign to May. So a couple things about Indiegogo, though. Now, Indiegogo and Kickstarter are very similar ideas. However, Kickstarter has a much more uh, strict rules about hardware has to be at a certain phase of development to, to prevent vaporware and stuff like that. And also, if a project does not meet its goal, you do not get any money. As opposed to Indiegogo, you can set up a goal, but any money paid in is always going to go to them no matter what. And so... What worries me about using Indiegogo for this specific thing is that they they if if say they need a hundred thousand dollars for their project, they end up earning fifty thousand dollars for the project. The other fifty thousand they don't have that they need, but they get to keep the fifty thousand from the other people, and, and so that's always very nerve wracking to me. So then, are they still going to work through and finish the system to get it to those fifty thousand to get to those you know the fifty thousand dollars back to those people, their products or whatever, or are they just going to keep it work on stuff not have enough money then fizzle away and people are boned out of their money and again it's not this isn't like kickstarting a board game for 40 or 50 bucks this is a minimum 200 dollars you have to pay and it's uh i don't know i i, I really i don't even necessarily know what this thing's going to come out uh there are certain things that i made comments about before like the com the c64 mini that ended up coming out which i i actually thought that would in my video i mentioned that i do think it'll come out i don't think the actual commodore 64 computer that they were working on before the mini will come out but this Atari box, I, I don't think this is going to, um, <laughs> I'm torn on it actually, because it's far enough along where I could see it coming out. Like it's been enough in the news. It's gotten enough attention where I think it could still come out, but I also could see this being one of those things that just does not ever see the light of day or eventually becomes a shell of what it was. Like you pay for this $200 device and you end up getting eventually a 20 or $30 raspberry Pi bundled inside of a retro looking Atari for $200. So uh, I'm very curious uh, where that's all going to go. Um, but I hope it's successful. I, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about that. Like, I don't want to see it fail and I don't want to see people put money into it and have it not do well. I would like it to be successful and I'd like people not to get ripped off. It's that simple. Um, but unfortunately it doesn't really seem like the reality uh, of this situation quite yet. So again, May 30th, if you're feeling uh, frisky, go ahead and, and plop a pre-order down on the Atari box and see if you get anything out of your money's worth a year later. Um, my guess is it'll be, it'll say it's coming out a year later, it'll get pushed to about six months to eight months to a year later after that, and then eventually will just cease to be. That is my, that is my hot take on that. Uh, so then moving on, the next story I want to talk a little bit about was, and this isn't a lot to talk about here, but I just found it interesting, so I wanted to cover it. Um, so PUBG Corp, so that is the company that's been, basically it's, it's the, it's the part of like, like Blue Hole where they basically made like a special company that runs Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. They've confirmed that 15 hackers have been arrested in China for hacking their game. So first you're like, holy crap, like for hacking a game, you're going to get arrested in China. Well, first of all, it's China. So that sort of stuff is possible. But we, uh, <laughs> you know, so here's some of the details. This is a Polygon article. I'm not, I'm not a super big Polygon fan, but it had seemed to, had a pretty good rundown. So I want to kind of go through this. But uh, basically, rumors had, according to the article, rumors kicked off that the police reportedly picked up 130 individuals on 30 different cases, uh, but they had never confirmed that. And then later they go on, uh, 
PUBG Corp has come out and actually uh, confirmed that 15 people were arrested. Uh, fines are, are estimated to be in the excess of 5.1 million. And this is uh, the PUBG Corp's quote, quote, the longstanding rumor that hacking and cheating programs extract information from users PC has been confirmed to be true. Using illegal programs not only disrupts others, but can end up with you handing over your personal information. We'll continue to crack down on hacking slash cheating programs and their creators until our, our players are free to battle it out in a totally fair environment. So that was just kind of their, their talk about, you know, why it happened. Um, and, and uh, the partner BattleEye, which helps uh, report and catch cheaters in Battlegrounds, issued a report that said that cheating has been rising exponentially since the end of 2017. Publicly available information indicates that as of January 2018, PUBG Corp may have been forced to ban more than 13% of its own player base. That's a lot when you have millions of players. That, that's a lot. Um, now, again, to be fair, they have their money for buying the game, so banning them doesn't really hurt them that much. Um, and they go on to say, quote, we've upgraded our security measures, improved our anti-cheat anti solutions, and recently even added a new anti-cheat solution on top of that. Um, in the meantime, we've also continuously gathered information on hacked developers and sellers and have been working extensively with multiple partners and judicial authorities to bring these people to justice. So what I would say about that then is if you are a PUBG hacker, it might be time to call it quits. Unless you're making so much money and you live in a country with no extradition, uh, you might want to just call it quits on this one. <laughs> and and besides the obvious fact that cheating in an online game is just dirt McGurk, at least I can appreciate the fact that if you're making money off of it, you're just trying to make money off of something sleazy instead of just trying to be like an internet hero by cheating on an online game, which is stupid. Uh, so like I said, not a lot to talk about in that one, but I want to move on. Um, these two final stories talk about Nintendo a little bit, and uh, most notably, <clears throat> I want to talk about the Labo, which came out the same day as God of War, so April 20th, this is about a week and a half ago. The Labo dropped in Japan, and so did God of War on the same day. <clears throat> um, now, a lot of articles started coming out. It's, it's interesting to see the... Um, the difference in opinion pieces that are out there in, in journalism, right? So you look at a story and, and you think, oh, like, like you look at a headline, you read it and you think, oh my God, this is devastating. So the first headline is Nintendo Labo has only sold 30% of its initial shipment in Japan. And you're like, holy crap, like that's not good. 30%? Like that's, so it's not selling. It must be crappy. No one's buying it. It's, it's crap, right? It's total crap. But then you go on to look at the bottom and Nintendo Labo's variety kit sold 90,000 units, while the robot kit sold 28,000 units, which was first and third place in the opening week in Japan sales, uh, which was followed by God of War, which was 46,000 units. So people look at this, and there's two ways to look at the story, and this is really the point I'm trying to make, like I want to introduce this information to you, but... I also want to kind of share how we have to be able to read a story and read between the lines and, and weed out the opinion pieces that are out there. Um, like I'm a self a self claimed opinionist. So I'm giving an opinion on things, but I also am open about that. I'm not here as like parading around like a news uh, article being like, Oh, here, here's the truth. Here's the news. Believe what I say sort of thing. This is just, this is my opinion. And if you want to like it and, and go along with it, then feel free. And if you don't, that's fine too. You know, go ahead. So now, <laughs> so the, the initial thing says they've only sold 30% of their initial shipments. So that's a negative headline. You read that and it, it comes with a negative 
like a negative experience of only 30%. And that's the wording. Nintendo Labo has only sold 30% of its initial shipment. And then the next mini headline, does this spell the end for the cardboard craze? So that's clearly an attention grabbing headline. And it's uh, it's incorrect because it's done very well. It sold 90,000 units uh, of its variety kit and 29, uh, almost 29,000 units of its robot kit. So if you look at those, they're what, 80 bucks a piece or whatever? I know the variety kit I think is 80. That's a ton of cash that they made. You know, this isn't like a 40 or $50 game, um, even God of War being a $60 game. So God of War... And now, he, now here's what's interesting. So it, it says the sales numbers. Nintendo Labo's variety kit sold 90,000 while the robot kit sold 28,000, ranking first and third respectively in its opening week. God of War, on the other hand, sold a respectable 46,000 units at launch. So it's basically saying that even though it's a 30% number, that 90,000 plus 28,000, 118,000 units might be the end of the cardboard craze, but selling 46,000 units is pretty respectable, pretty respectable. You can see there's like, there's such a bias on this article. And if you don't know where I stand, if you've never seen any of my other content before, I'm a Sony guy. Like I prefer the PlayStation. I have a Switch. I have an Xbox. I have a gaming PC. I prefer the PlayStation 4, but I get really irritated by news articles that are so biased in the way they write an article. They're not biased in an opinion way, which you're allowed to be if it's an opinion, but they're biased in like a factual way. And it's, it's irritating to me. So then they go on to say this small percentage could be due to a number of reasons. However, the first and most likely scenario is that Nintendo expected to sell a lot more units of Labo than actually happened. So the company simply placed an excessive initial order in, uh, in order to meet possible demands. The other scenario might relate to Golden Week, a vacation period that's happening from April 29th to May 5th in Japan. Nintendo could have ordered more stock than necessary to prepare stores for the Golden Week rush. So even now, they're even coming out to say, you know what, this is most likely what happened, these two scenarios. Um, unfortunately, in the United States, sales aren't available. So there's a couple of things about this story. Like I, I'm dumping all this out here, and then I want to hit on a couple different parts. The first one, really frustrated with how a lot of the people are taking this article. Because you can look at it in one way of saying, Nintendo's on top. They sold, 90, 000, they sold twice as many copies of Labo than they sold of God of War. God of War sucks. No one likes God of War. That's one way you could look at this article. The other way is, well, they only sold 30% of their initial stock, so it's a failure. Wow, the Labo's the biggest failure Nintendo's ever had. What a stupid idea. See, I, I told you, internet friends, that uh, the Labo was stupid um, because that seems to be everyone's opinion lately, you know? It's like, uh, okay, that, that's cool if you don't like it. I, I personally have no interest in the Labo. I, I think it's dumb, and I, I don't want it. But it's not for me, and that's okay. I, I It's not meant for me. It's meant for another type of customer and you know what they're gonna buy it and they're gonna love it jordan from drop rate has two of the kits and he's loving enjoying putting that stuff together and i'm happy for him i'm glad he does uh if, for me i have no interest in it so i won't play it but it doesn't mean that it's a bad device or that it's not gonna do well now so that's that's my first part with this now the second part though was that we did have this very interesting kind of and i mentioned this on the drop rate uh the drop cast last night the drop rate podcast was that Nintendo fans seem to have a really short memory when it comes to where their favorite company has been success-wise. So there's no doubting that the Wii was an incredible success uh, commercially. It sold a ton. It made Nintendo a ton of money. But I think if you ask the the average gamer, uh, they're going to say that the Wii was not their favorite system of that generation. The Wii hit 
a group of people that gaming hadn't hit in a long time or ever. So you had a lot of old people were getting into the Wii, a lot of really young kids were getting into the Wii. So you were you were the Wii brought in a whole bunch of new gamers into the um, you know into the fold. And then you have the Wii U comes out and is forgotten by essentially everyone. And I actually like the Wii U. I'm not talking trash about that system. I liked it, but it's no it's no it's no secret that it was unsuccessful and that Nintendo moved on very quickly. One, they came out with it too quickly. And then two, they moved on from it too quickly. They didn't even give it a chance to succeed. And clearly they have a winner with the Switch. So the idea, the the concept was there, but they couldn't do the concept in actuality during the generation of the Wii U. What they should have done probably was was rode out the Wii's success for another couple years and then, you know, almost until the Switch is launched. But at that point, you're looking at, I mean, it came out last year, so you'd be looking at an 11-year console life cycle, which isn't very realistic and, and has never been done before. But the Wii probably had that sort of staying power, quite honestly, uh, with how well it hit the non-traditional gamers. But again, the Wii U was Nintendo's attempt to try to get up to speed with the the average gamer, the hardcore gamer, and still be able to offer everything that the Wii was offering. And it didn't do well. So, you know, you, you can... I'm very happy that the Switch is very successful, but Nintendo fans need to take a step back and go, you know, I, I think you could argue that they haven't had a super successful system since the Super Nintendo and N64, and even the N64 didn't sell as well as Nintendo wanted. The GameCube, awesome system. I love the GameCube. I have one. I play games on it all the time. But it wasn't as commercially successful as the PlayStation 2 was. And again, that doesn't mean it's a failure of a device, but, you know, it, it just means it it wasn't like the, the, the best, you know, uh, as far as sales were concerned. If you liked it, of course, I love the GameCube as well. Like, don't don't take that away from this. Like, I swear every time I do a video, people pick one line that I say out of an opinion piece and they hate everything I say. I'm not saying the GameCube is bad. I love the GameCube. It's a great system. But these were not Nintendo's super successful runs. Now, the Switch is very successful. It's got one of the best launches they've ever had. Um, will it ever come close to touching the Wii sales? Probably not because it also doesn't hit that demographic the Wii was like a one it was like a like that lightning in a bottle sort of capture of this perfect storm of availability price and uniqueness and then touching a whole new player base as far as older and younger gamers and stuff like that I mean I talked to people who were buying them for nursing homes and and then you had people buying it just for the Wii Sports game like they didn't buy another piece of software except for Wii Sports which came with it for free it's crazy uh so so that's the other part about this that I want to touch upon was that Nintendo's Nintendo fans have very short memories when it comes to what that company has done for them and, and quite possibly to them. Uh, everyone who early adopted a Wii U got burned pretty hard. And I, I don't think you'd find many Wii U owners out there who don't feel like they got shafted a little bit. Um, I know both the other guys at my store, Dave and Dom, they don't, they don't want to buy a switch because they're, they're burned by Nintendo with the Wii U. Now I'm trying to convince them that that's very, that's very noble. You're really stupid, unfortunately, because the switch is actually a fun system and they're missing out on good experiences on the switch just because of their hatred for the Wii U. And I, but I get it. And also the Wii, a lot of us like myself, I don't really like the Wii. I mean, I have a handful of games for it and it's fine, I suppose, but it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's it wasn't my game system of choice. Like everyone's gonna, most hardcore gamers are gonna pick the Xbox 360 or the PS3 over a Wii when they think back to their favorite consoles of that generation. Um, so anyway, that was just a little bit about the sales numbers that come out. We haven't gotten the U.S. sales numbers yet, which I'm very curious to see 
because I I would highly doubt that the Labo outsold God of War here because God of War was bonkers here. There were even points where Amazon was sold out for a little while, which is does not happen very often um, with, with some really, really big games. Most of the time, they have so much quantity, they don't ever really run out. But in this instance, uh, they ran out a couple times leading up to the launch, like a week before launch, but uh, they got restocked very quickly, so good for them. Um, so yeah, so it was interesting though that when you have two totally different products going head to head on a day to kind of see their sales. Now, again, it also breaks down to in Japan, they typically like Japanese things, Japanese companies, they like the Japanese ingenuity. God of War has never really sold well in Japan, so there wasn't much of an expectation there. But I still think selling 46,000 copies in Japan of God of War was actually a pretty good launch for them. So I think they did pretty well there, but I am very, very curious to see the April numbers for God of War. Like that first that first weekend, I really want to see. Uh, I'm wondering if it's going to push, you know, 200 to 300,000 copies sold just in the first uh, weekend, which would be really cool. Um and then carrying on to talk a little bit more about Nintendo. Let's see what time I'm at here. To carry on a little bit more about Nintendo, uh, there was an interesting article I was reading that talked about Nintendo had a had a quote that said their mobile performance so far is not satisfactory. Which is really weird because I was looking at some numbers because I, I remember reading articles that said Super Mario Run, which is their their first essentially original iOS game, came out and it was it was downloaded like a billion times and like there are all these reports saying how much money it made all this other stuff and then nintendo is disappointed in its production so let me see nintendo's quotes here so this was ever since super mario run failed to meet expectations the now company president tatsumi kimishima is giving us an updated rundown of how the mobile arena has gone for them so far by the way of financial results so Quote, for the smart device business, we will continue the services for existing applications while also releasing new applications in order to increase Nintendo's presence in the business. So they're not backing away. They're, they're attacking it. They're staying in it. The efforts we have made to date have yielded certain responses to our goal of expanding the number of people who have access to Nintendo IP. Even so, we have not reached a satisfactory profit point yet, so our goal is to further expand the scale of this business to develop it into one of the pillars of revenue. So what they're saying basically is it's it's not done well for them yet, but they want to grow it because they do see the potential there. So they, they seem to be making smart business choices. So that's good. That's all good. No, nothing issue there. Um, there is a, a new game coming out, a company called uh, Psy Games. They're coming out with a game called Drag Dragalia Lost, which looks really good. Uh, and then uh, Nintendo has re-announced that Mario Kart Tour is also coming some point between now and next spring. So they're going to do a Mario Kart iOS game, which is probably pretty incredibly going to be awesome. Um, and Mario Kart is still crushing it on the Switch, so it would make sense, right? So this is sort of their what they're claiming is that it's been, they can see the potential, but it hasn't really made a lot of money for them. But I was looking at some stuff. I was looking at some sales here. So... Super Mario Run, for instance, um, let's see here, uh, uh, where is it here, okay, um, Super Mario, upon release, Super Mario Run received generally positive reviews from critics, and has a Metacritic score of 76 out of 100, uh, and then we had, let's see, uh, now the 
players seemed more critical. The user-driven app store rating after three days of release was 2.5 out of five stars. Part of the part of the complaints were one, it needed a persistent internet connection, so maybe they'll learn the lesson from that. And two, it was a $10 price point. So people were like, why am I paying $10 for this? Um, however, I want to see the numbers because they talked about how many... It was downloaded like more times than Pokemon Go was, which is like mental. Um, okay, so let's see here. Sales. The app tracking service Apptopia reported that Super Mario Run was downloaded 2.85 million times on the day of release. Okay, so let's just do some quick math. 10 bucks, 2.85 million times. So, you know, I, I don't... You made, you made $28.5 million on the first day of release from sales. Uh, and it said it grossed over $5 million. So it, it was saying that obviously there's development costs that go into all that advertising, all that sort of stuff. After all that, it grossed $5 million. Within three days, it had been downloaded more than 37 million times. While Nintendo themselves reported that the title had over 40 million downloads in the first four days, setting the record for fastest app growth. On December 23rd, 2016... Uh, Nintendo announced the app was downloaded more than 50 million times in the first week. Okay. Uh, and then it said um, 1 million of those downloads leads to the users paying for the title. So I was wrong. So the initial downloads weren't the $10 a piece. So my, my apologies on that. I was wrong. Um, with 55% being from the United States earning 14 million in sales. So that was their figure based on how many people translated from the free version to the paid version. Um, Apple reported that Super Mario Run was the 10th most downloaded app from their app store in 2016 and was the top downloaded free game in 2017. Um, with the company's year-end report for fiscal year 2016, which ended on March 31st of 2017, Kimishima said that the combined downloads for Super Mario Run across iOS and Android were approaching 150 million. Six months later, total combined downloads had reached 200 million. Kimishima said that the game had not yet reached an acceptable profit point, but that Nintendo had learned several lessons in development and releasing on mobile games from Super Mario Run. How is this game not profitable, and how has it not reached an acceptable profit point? What's an acceptable profit point for Nintendo breaking into a new market for the first time? Like, again, checked expectations. Like, where where are we... Like, what was your expectations for this? It's like when, when a game comes out... What was it... Uh, what was the most recent one? I can't remember. It was some, I think it was some Square Enix game and it came out, it was like Deus Ex 2 or something. And I think it sold like, God, I think it sold 300,000 copies or something. And it was like, oh, we were, we were let down by those sales. And you're like, what? That's incredible sales. And then you look at another game like Demon Souls when that first came out and, fr and uh, Atlas at the time was like, oh yeah, we're hoping to break a hundred thousand in sales. It's successful if we break a hundred thousand. Like, so it's successful for them at 100,000, but this other game wasn't successful until you blasted over 300,000. Now, again, marketing budgets, costs, a Deus Ex game is going to be budgeted for marketing way higher than Demon's Souls was. Demon's Souls might not have been advertised at all, actually, if I remember correctly at the time, uh, but it was a good game, so it slowly grew and, uh, and all that jazz. But it's just really weird to me, like, what a company's what a company's stance is on what an acceptable amount of profit is and why... And why this doesn't meet it. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Um, 
And then they talk a little about the stock doing things in a certain way. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Apparently making $14 million is not, is not uh, good enough for them. So that's kind of what they're saying. Now, again, the good part is Nintendo saying, we see how this works. We see the potential. Here we go. We're going to begin as opposed to saying, oh, you know, it only made this much money. We're going to get out of this market. They definitely see the potential in the market and they're going to continue to be a part of that market. Um, and again, like I said earlier, unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit of a, of a shorter one. What I want to do later this week, uh, I want to do an Avengers Infinity War spoiler cast where I talk about the movie, go over what I thought about it, go through the whole rundown feelings, uh, how I liked it. Um, I didn't want to attach that to this podcast, though, because maybe you guys want to see the movie still and you don't want a spoiler cast. And I don't want you to have to like be listening to this in the car or something and then be like, oh, I had to stop playing it out i'm gonna hear too much so uh, i'm gonna look for that maybe on thursday or i might uh, lump it onto the end of the podcast next week but i definitely want to talk about it uh and then lastly we're going to talk about uh a little unknown genesis game probably a little little more unknown than most but a game that i actually like quite a bit so this is zero tolerance zero tolerance is a first person shooter on the sega genesis one of the only first-person shooters on the Sega Genesis, actually. So it plays very much like Doom or Return to Castle Wolfenstein. It's that style of, you know, graphics and everything, obviously, with the power they had at the time. But uh, a very brutal game. It got the MA-13 rating system, which was before the ESRB, so this would have probably been a T for Teen or M for Mature game. Uh, And you're on, like, a space station. It's really cool. You have, like, a little mini-map down here. You can kind of see in this picture. There's, like, a mini-map that's almost like a Metroid-style uh, minimap. Uh, the only thing I remember about this game, and I might be wrong on this, but I remember that uh, I think you could run out of ammo, <laughs> and, and I don't think you could clear the floor until you actually killed everybody, so that would leave you like unable to pass a level. I might be wrong on that, but I feel like that happened to me in this game, and maybe that's why I stopped playing it. But the game's called Zero Tolerance. Uh, it was an accolade game. Uh, Technopop. Um, and published by... Say, uh, uh, on the Sega Genesis. Also, you'll notice this really weird, like late Sega Genesis. So check out this really thin bar here, how kind of stupid that looks. So when you get to like the other Genesis games I've talked about before, see how much bigger that is the Genesis bar on the, on the um, side there. And then this one, you get this little baby Genesis one over here, Uh, as opposed to some of the earlier ones, which did full box art like that. So, um, but zero tolerance, this is a pretty fun game. Actually, it's a first person shooter on the Genesis and they really didn't have a lot like this and it's really good. And I highly recommend it. Uh, so, uh, and that, that does it everybody for the podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at drop rate, Greg, that's Greg with two G's at the end. And of course, if you aren't watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to it on SoundCloud or on iTunes, I'd love for you to go to our YouTube channel and give us a subscribe. I'm very proud. We just broke 2,100 subs, uh, in our first year. Basically, I want to say it's eight more or nine more days is the year mark for our first uploaded video on, uh, on drop rates, YouTube channel. And, um, it's uh, so proud. 2,100 subs in one year of uploading was blew away our wildest expectations. And, uh, and that's all because of you guys. But if you haven't been over there, you can go to droprate.life. That'll link you to our YouTube channel. Or you can just go to YouTube and search for the drop rate. Look for the DR logo, the yellow and gray. And uh, otherwise, if you listen to this on YouTube and uh, you like podcasts and have the podcast app for your iPhone, you can listen to me on iTunes. Just look for Game Talk Radio and you'll see the little sprite of me wearing my shirt uh, here. It's the same uh, little guy you see in the corner of the thumbnails for this video. 
And again, as always, I have so much fun doing this and, and I know it's a little bit shorter one this week, so I apologize for that. Um, but I got to get in that basement and start recovering all of <laughs> all of the water damage stuff we have. So I will talk to everybody again soon. Thank you very much. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again later. Bye-bye.